we had established a policy the music must accommodate the family not the family accommodate the music because when when we're old and decrepit and like we are now well getting that way and you know the music business gatekeepers are not going to be the ones that come and check on us or as our son said you know dad we're going to make sure you get the creamy alpo and not the dry Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week I chat with a musical guest who is listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Today I'm welcoming to the podcast the husband and wife team of Steve and Annie Chapman. Christian music enthusiasts will recognize Steve and Annie as a vocal recording duo from the early 80s, but before that they were both in the pioneering CCM group Dogwood. But what many may not realize is that they've continued to record and have around 20 albums to their name, they're also seasoned authors, releasing more than 30 books between the two of them, covering topics from marriage and parenting to hunting and character development. We've got a lot to talk about, I'm sure. So welcome with me to the podcast, Annie and Steve. Thank you, sir. Thank Hello. you, Dave. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Welcome from Nashville. And uh, you're welcome to come here and, and uh, make yourself at home. Well, I'm sure that we could probably spend two or three podcast episodes talking about all that you guys have done over the past, uh, do I dare say how long? Since <laughs> the 1900s, Dave. There you go. Yeah, that was last century. <laughs> Why don't we get started with how you guys met? I read a little bit about this, and I like the story. I think our listeners would enjoy that, too. Well, we met in uh, the great state of West Virginia. Uh, I was born in Chapmanville. I mean, uh, do the roots run deep or what? Wow. And uh, Annie was uh, living in a little community called Southside uh, near the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where my folks moved when I, when I was 10 years old. Uh, Dad took a job at a nearby uh, manufacturing plant, and uh, we ended up there in Point Pleasant. And in 1963, uh, I went to junior high school and in the halls of junior high school in the eighth grade, I met this girl named Ann Williamson. She's a, a country girl and uh, from a dairy farm uh, in Southside. And that's where we met, but we didn't really get to know each other until high school. So, Yeah, it, technically we went to junior high together, but realistically we became friends in high school. We were in choir together and I had this, um, I, I had heard that Steve liked to hunt and, uh, you know, I, he had caught my eye and I mean, how could I resist this <laughs> uh, adorable, what, 13 year old. And, yeah. uh, so my brother had killed an 11 point buck. So I just made sure that Steve was in uh, earshot uh -huh. when I was describing and, uh, he showed some interest in me, uh, believe it or not. Well, in my farm. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him that if he came up to uh, uh, to see me, that my brother would take him to that deer stand where he caught that, uh, bagged that 11 point. 
And so um, I didn't know that he was going to come in at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, goodness. And I didn't tell my brother he was coming. <laughs> and my dad met him at the front door in his underwear and a ball bat. So well, he was in wearing ball bat. Yeah, my dad <laughs> was in his underwear. So uh, he got my brother out of bed and my brother took him to the deer stand in like sub-zero weather. I think it was just revenge for waking him up and left him there about two or three hours before daylight. Yep. And uh, he didn't, he wasn't sure he'd be able to find our farm in the dark. So he came <laughs> real early. So you were in the deer stand by 3.30, 4 o'clock? It was, yeah. it was probably 4.30, but it wouldn't, didn't get daylight till seven. I thought I was going to die there. Yeah. Oh, so he, he didn't get the deer, but he caught my attention. I got the other deer. The, the, way, <laughs> the other one that you spelled the you, other way. You got the deer that makes the most important uh, life change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the deer, the deer. So you guys um, hung out in high school. When did you actually start singing together? Well, like Annie said a while ago, we were in choir together in high school, and uh, that's where I first heard her voice. I went, "Whoa, that gal can sing!" And uh, well, Steve was in a a, a three. It was kind of like Kingston Trio. Oh, sure. Called the Master Men. Uh, was it a tree? Was it four of you or three of you? There was four of four us. Of you, yeah. you take a stick of bumba, you take yeah. a stick of, oh, you know those songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and, cute. Uh, yeah. So we met there uh, in, in the choir room. But his dad was a pastor. And so I would go and sing for his dad. I mean, I really had more of a relationship with these folks than I did with him at one point. So uh, I would do solo work for his dad and, uh, you know, if he did a revival, I would go and sing. And so we, you know, we knew each other. And then on my 21st birthday, somehow we were hanging out together and we went, we took off and this was before cell phones. We didn't tell our parents where we were going. We went to see the Oak Ridge boys in Charleston, West Virginia. And it was two o'clock in the morning and I wasn't home. And I thought, well, I'm 21. Who cares? And my mom and dad cared because I was living at home. So Anyway, that's we have quite the history together. Yeah, back up a little bit. We, uh, I went off to college, to Glenville State College. Annie went to uh, Moody, Moody, Moody Bible, Bible Institute, and uh, and then I went into the Navy, and Annie went to West Virginia University. So we 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 parted ways after high school, and then in uh, 1974, I landed in Nashville. Uh, just interested in in music, had no direction, just wanted to be in the music city. And um, a friend of mine, uh, Ron Elder, came down and, and uh, we eventually uh, formed a the beginnings of the group Dogwood. And uh, Annie was, uh, uh, the, it was me and Ron and two other guys, and we were living in this apartment all four of us and and uh, our pastor came in one day we were all single and uh he gathered us in the living room and and he prayed over us and and, and it may have been the odor and the mess in the house but he <laughs> said uh, oh god give these men wives <laughs> and when he said that dave i said to myself i didn't say it out loud i thought he he should mind his own business i'm not I'm not interested in that. And then the Lord started stirring that that prayer in my heart, and I said, "Okay, I want to be obedient." And 
if marriage is for me, and by then I was what, 21? No, 23, 23. And by then, uh, you know, I was probably old enough to settle down, but I started thinking, Lord, who, if you, if you want me to marry someone, who would it be? And that's when Annie's uh, name came to my mind. Back then we called her Ann. There's a reason she's called Annie, but uh, uh, I started thinking about Ann Williamson and uh, the group split up for a couple of weeks to pray about the direction of Dogwood. And I went to West Virginia and Annie happened to be home. I was working in Philadelphia in an inner city ministry. So uh-huh. uh, I, it had been a really uh, difficult summer. So in September, I decided to come home for a couple of weeks and see my folks. And when I got there, uh, lo and behold, Steve Chapman came from Nashville to visit his folks and to pray about uh, this group. And we saw each other and our friendship was renewed. And we took a drive one day and he told me about the prayer his pastor had prayed. And he said, and I think perhaps you were the answer to that prayer. Wow. And I said, no way, Bubba. <laughs> I am not getting married. I, I basically had a, a great disdain and hatred for men and children. And so uh, I didn't particularly, I was a Christian, but I'd been influenced by the feminist movement and I didn't, you know, I didn't want uh, that life. And I told him, uh, I said, no, no, I, it's not me for sure. And four months later we were married. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's yeah. quite, that's quite the statement. And we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but uh, God obviously changed your heart. Annie, because you have quite a passion for children and family now. Yeah, I don't hate them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys got together uh, and Annie joined Dogwood, was was that still while you guys were doing, weren't you guys the opening band for like the coffee house there in Nashville? What was it, Koinonia or something like that? Yeah, Koinonia uh, Coffee House was where Dogwood got its start. Uh, by By the time... Uh, March of uh, 1975 came around. Uh, Dogwood was ingrained in Koinonia. We were the house band, you might say. And Annie uh, was still in in West Virginia, and I invited her to come down. Well, uh, your your timelines, we were married in March. Right, 75, but I'm talking about before. Yeah, in November. In November of 74, I invited her to come down. That's right. And... um, everything I promised her musically fell apart before she got here. <laughs> and, uh, but she told her dad, what was she said? Well, I was coming to sing back up for this tour with this famous artist and Steve's band was going to be her backup, you okay. know, and her music and all that. Well, the week, the day, I think the day I came down to Nashville for that, uh, everything just fizzled and uh-huh. fell apart and the tour was canceled and everything. So Steve was dreading telling me that the reason he had lured me to Nashville was uh, not going to happen. And I said, uh, well, I didn't come because you invited me. I came because I thought God wanted me to. Because when I left home, I told my dad, I said, I may be gone two weeks. I may be gone two months. I may never come home. And that was 46 years ago. And I never went home. Wow. Wow. And and does dad still meet you at the at the gate with his baseball bat, Steve? 
<laughs> he would if he was alive. He, he ended up loving him. He ended up loving him. And mom, <laughs> mom uh, she had a few choice words to say about him showing up, but uh, she came around too. Dogwood uh, started in uh, uh, late 74. Annie joined in uh, one week after we got married. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guys dropped out, one of the original uh, guys, and Annie stepped in. And Tem I stepped in temporarily 46 years ago. Right. Yeah, and then I did that for a couple of years. Then when we had our son, Nathan, I told Steve, I said, the road is no place for a child, and uh, you go on and I'll stay home. And uh, that didn't quite pan out that way. No. <laughs> so did the pastor's prayer come to fruition for the other guys too? He, it Every did. One of them. And uh, any, anybody that's single listening, he's not in the uh, business of those prayers for everybody, but uh, he, he saw a need in our life. And uh, it's been a good run. Been good. It's what God puts together is a good thing, isn't it? It, it really good. is. So yeah. Dogwood was together until the late 70s, and then you guys decided to go off as a duo then. What was what was kind of the transitionary between that phase of life? Well, Annie, uh, the way she put it, and when she dropped out of Dogwood, she said, uh, I'm, I'm accepting a promotion to motherhood. Right. Consequently, though, that left me and Ron you know, as a duet, as Dogwood, and we sounded awful as a duet. We, our songs were, were written not for duet, but for trio. And uh, so we, we were in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, singing, and um, there was a band that warmed us up called East of the Altar. And they, those were, uh, the band was four single guys, and, and, and Ron and I really liked them and liked how they sounded. And we invited them to come to Nashville and be Dogwood as a band. And it, it, at one point we were seven pieces, oh, okay. six, six on stage and a sound man. And that, that continued uh, for a, almost two years. But what happened, Dave, is while that, uh, while the band was in progress, I was becoming a stranger at home. Uh, we were gone 20, 22 days a month trying to keep seven guys, you know, food on the table sure. and, and responding really to, to, uh, invitations. Uh, I thought, I thought Dogwood, Dogwood had a good ministry going. And, uh, uh yet I was feeling, um, really lost as, as a dad and, and a husband because I was becoming a stranger at home, as I mentioned, and I came home one weekend after a trip and Nathan was what about two years old maybe three yeah maybe and, three and a half and so. um he did something behaviorally after about an hour at home uh that I didn't approve of and I disciplined him and he didn't know who I was mm, yeah <laughs> and he looked at me and and he said he pointed his little finger at me and he said oh man why don't you get in that motorhome go take another trip oh wow and uh, that was the moment I realized I'm losing this kid. I'm, I'm losing my, my, my uh, credibility as a father. Yeah. So literally in that moment, Dave, my heart left Dogwood. But it took six months for that to come to fruition. And in that six-month period when we were traveling, I was 
so much uh, thought put on family, I started writing songs about family. And I, I'm a songwriter that responds to the things that move me. And uh, so by the time the six month was over and uh, the dogwood ended, I had the, this list of songs about family that uh, I thought, you know, I felt like the Lord was leading me and us in into that uh, field of trying to encourage families through music. It's a very unique way to teach about the family. And uh, so, and I, I like to never convince Annie. She, she did <laughs> not want to go back out on the road. Well, I have a little story about that. Um, Steve said he wanted the two of us to travel. Well, by that time we had had our daughter. So that was, uh, you know, a baby and a toddler. Yeah. And if I thought the road wasn't good for one, what do you think <laughs> I thought about for two? Right. And I just said, no, you go be a solo act and I'll stay home with the kids. Well, he, he, I, he didn't tell me this. He never mentioned it again to me, but he prayed about it. Mm. And so on one of these trips coming near the end of this uh, six month period, he was gone for a week. And the first night that he was gone, I had a dream. And in the dream, I dreamed that I was unfaithful to him. And uh, I thought, oh, wow, what did I watch? You know, yeah. that, why, why would I do that? Second night, the same dream I was unfaithful to him. Third night, okay, now I'm getting upset. Fourth night, Lord, what is in my heart? Are you telling me I have an adulterous heart? Why am I dreaming these dreams? Fifth night, same thing. Sixth night, I don't want to go to sleep. I am destroyed. I am so upset. What is wrong with me that I have this same dream? And finally, in desperation, I cried out, what is wrong, Lord? And God spoke to me in that still small voice that, you know, couple of handfuls of times you know it's him and yeah. that you're unfaithful because you won't do what I've called you to do and when Steve came home I told him okay I'll travel with you but we have to take the kids yeah and so uh, and this is the the brilliance of all of this if Steve had talked me into doing that with two little <laughs> with an infant and a and toddler if he had talked me into going on the road with him, every time something went wrong, I would have blamed him. Mm. Every time it would have been too hard or somebody got sick or something, Steve would, but because he would, he would not talk me into it, but he prayed about it. Then when things went wrong, it wasn't me and Steve duking it out. It was me and God uh. because it was God that had called me, not Steve. Steve never pulled the submission card. He never said, you know, we could do this. He never tried to make it sound better than it was going to be because it was hard traveling with little ones. Oh, sure. It was God that said, if you don't do this, you're not being faithful to what I've called you to do. So that we did. We packed up the youngins and um, uh, boy, it's, it's been a wonderful life. The kids raised on the road and, and, um, our goal was that our kids would never despise the ministry. So we never talked bad about anybody. If something bad happened, if we didn't get paid, if somebody did, the kids were not privy to that. We, we, we really protected them. And so they, 
they grew up and, and each other. We, we tried to be that for each other too, you know, having a positive attitude. So it's, it turned out to be a wonderful thing and, and we've done it. And this coming Sunday, we do it again. We've done it a long time. Well, and, and Nathan and Heidi, right, are your kids' names? Right. They've, right. Got, they've released some stuff of their own, some both books and, and music as well. So they kind of learned from what you have said as an example. Yeah, Nathan is a, he runs with the big dogs here in Nashville, and, and Heidi uh, probably has the best voice of anyone in the family, and she's a homeschool mom and an incredible artist. She does just beautiful, fine art, and, and they're both very talented, but uh, I think they grew up with very good attitudes and good memories of, the, of life on the road. Well, I know a lot of our listeners um, will have lost track of you around the mid-80s because I think that's when you uh, decided to go independent, right? And you started staying closer to home. Was that because the kids were of, of the age that they needed to be home? Or was what was the transition point there? Well, we wanted to do our the music we wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we didn't uh, stay home so much. We, we just uh, stepped outside of the box of the mainstream uh, Christian music because, Dave, we, we were singing songs that uh, would not fit commercially, uh, you know, with a record company. We were doing stuff like uh, Her Daddy's Love, uh, you know, which is, uh, was a song that actually uh, ended up on the uh, Turn Your Heart Toward Home film series. Okay. Uh, focus on the family right and we were doing daddy please find a reason you know we found that with with uh, songs about family they're either funny or really sad and hardly anything in between hmm. and uh, so uh you know commercially they just they just didn't fit and uh so and we accepted that but what that seemed to have done it expanded our uh, uh audience in terms of uh, church function mm -hmm. because when when, when um, focus on the family gave us a platform which we were very grateful for uh when people wanted to have an event for family some a lot of times they would think of us yeah and because it included music and instruction yeah, yeah. and uh so we we uh, cultivated that and uh accepted the fact that we probably would never chart uh but our our concern was hearts, not charts, and yeah. uh, not that charts are bad. That's not a bad thing. It's just that wasn't our focus. What Jim Dobson did for us in one broadcast, what we could not have done in twenty years. Wow. Uh, with even with a you know we at the time we were with a record company yeah, right. when little. we started that. So he identified our music as music for the family. And, uh, and it was, in fact, the first time we went and did a chapel service for uh, Dr. Dobson, uh, he thought we had written the songs specifically because we were there. Ah. He didn't know that that is actually what we did all the time. That's your thing, yeah. And we finally said, uh, we sing what you say. We, this, is what, this is what we sing. And uh, that friendship and uh, partnership uh, included him including us on the uh film series which i, I think is probably incalculable how many oh, yeah. people have actually seen that you yeah. know even though we were a minute part of it 
to be able to be a part of that was uh, it was just a blessing from God. And and we we love well, them and appreciate them so much. Just a, a quick uh, insight into the uh, uh, level of influence that Jim had at that time. Uh, we didn't know at the end of the broadcast. What we did is we filmed a chapel service with them. Okay. And uh, or we, recorded. They recorded the audio. And they, they used that as a broadcast. And at the end of the broadcast, I think they used like four or five songs. We didn't know he was going to say, and if you're interested in having these folks at your church, give this uh, person a call. And we were sitting here in Nashville listening to the program as it aired first time we heard it we were excited and then, then we heard that at the end we went uh-oh so <laughs> i immediately called the guy that was scheduling us down in mobile alabama and it took me three hours to get into the phone was busy wow and i finally got through and i said curtis what's going on he said i want to know what's going on <laughs> he said he said we've we've booked a year of concerts here this morning wow and uh, so we have so much thanks to give to Jim and, and uh, to Jim and Shirley. So, you know, we're very grateful for that. Well, you know, the thing that comes to my mind is that, that if we follow God's path, which, which what you were singing about, what you were writing about was following his call in your life, he's going to pave the way in ways that we couldn't have even imagined doing on our own. You know, that's exactly the point I was heading to. And, and I wanted to say that, especially for the young musician who's trying to, you know, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I get into that? You just follow. And we've been followers all of these years. And uh, sometimes God makes followers leaders. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted others to pick up the mantle and sing about family. We haven't seen many do it but we've seen a few and uh, uh yeah you're right we we just follow and somehow you look back through time and uh you go that was that was a good trip i think there were two times i look back and i think we could have made a choice that would have changed the uh the direction that we went one was steve wrote a song that um it was the, the company that we were with really believed it. It was a country hit and wanted uh, Steve to let that song be released. And something kept, Steve just believed that he, he really didn't trust. I don't even know. Well, I can't even understand it. But the, I had I, this, this song. Don't, I, don't tell the song. No, I won't tell the song, <laughs> but I will tell you that it had some uh, questionable. Uh, That's why it was going to be a success. Scenery in it that, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it had a little risque side. I don't know what got, got into me to write a song like that. But, uh, <laughs> but it was a great song. But we, uh, Steve held it back and said, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't put my name on it. Uh, even though he wrote it. And um, and then around the same time, our record company had us uh, scheduled a meeting on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. And we were to meet with this talent agent. You know, we were they were going to sign us as there. And they had really big names. 
uh, and they were willing to take us on. They came to our concert and they said, yeah. And they said, we're going to put you on. I think at the time it was like the Phil Donahue show and we're going to have you on Good Morning America. And, and they went through all this, all these promises that they were going to do. And our record company was all in, you know, yeah. that was going to help them. But there, again, there was a, a check and we knew that was not the direction we were to take. And we turned that down and we made our record company really mad, but we knew in our hearts. And I think those two decisions, it kept us probably more low key and we weren't the success that we could have been maybe, but that was around this same time that Jim Dobson asked us to come. Mm sing the first time on focus on the family and i believe had we done those other two things that would never have happened and we believe that ultimately the direction that we ended up taking was the one we were supposed to go even though we probably reached a lot less people in some respect but uh i don't know we look back and just kind of sigh and think thank you lord yeah uh I'm glad we 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 hoed these little this two little rows that you gave us in this world, and and that's okay. Our our garden's not as big as somebody else's, but we wrote we hoed the rows that you told us to, and we feel good about it. Well, this brings up a really interesting question because, as people as musicians are trying to further their careers, and they have these for all intents and purposes very incredible opportunities to maybe make a big buck, maybe make a big career splash. What was it specifically that helped you guys realize that this is not the path that God has for us? I mean, that had to have been quite a wrestling match, I would imagine. Well, we had established a policy. Uh, we agreed on this, this policy, that is that the, uh, the music must accommodate the family, not the family accommodate the music. Because when when we're old and decrepit and like we are now, well, getting that way, and uh, and you know the music business gatekeepers are not going to be the ones that come and check on us, or bring us a glass of water, or you know, <laughs> or as our son said, you know, Dad, we're going to make sure you get the creamy alpo and not the dry. <laughs> he said, "I'm going to take good care of you." Yeah. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, thanks. We There's one more example that is kind of along this line. We had made the decision because we traveled with kids that we would take the month of August off because it was hot. It was, you know, we, the, we just were going to do it. And the August 1st to the end, that month belonged to our kids and we were not going to take them out and we weren't going to travel. Well, something happened and we get this call from our booking agent that this opportunity that was just absolutely beyond, we were gonna teach the teachers and we were gonna have this big platform. If we would, and, and we go, oh wow, this sounds fabulous, when? Yeah. And he said, August the 4th. And we go, oh, well that's a problem because August belongs to our kids. Well, why, why can't you just, add four more days into September, yeah. just back it up four days, you know, come on. And we just said, we made a commitment. It's August 1st. We can't do it. And they never ask us again. I think we made some real enemies at that point, but, uh, 
that's when we said, when this is all over, who do we want to impress? Them or our kids? Who's going to remember that we didn't do this on August the 4th? Them? Nah, they're going to go on to other. Our kids will know they are more important than this opportunity. And it was stuff like that that happened along the way that I think there were tests in a way, but it kept, we kept coming back to, all right, who are you going to please? Because we knew the music business is not pleasable. Mm. I mean, you're going to be replaced as we see, you know, every dog has its day. There's always going to be someone that comes along that, that deserves that spot more than you do. So if you lived to please the music business, you end up with nothing. Mm-hmm. Every dogwood has its day. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they come back around for a revisit. But We haven't talked about this stuff in what, 30, 40 years. No, well, so it's, fine. it's still on the tip of our tongue. So. Well, it's in our minds, but we don't talk about it. Well, but it's the passion that God has used to focus your ministry because, like you said, Steve, there was that point when you were talking with Nathan about, you know, just get back on the bus and go away. When you That was that flip of a switch that says, I know what my purpose is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't regret that jo- choice. Uh, commercially, I'll, you know, a songwriter like me, we, we will admit, you know, I would love to have had some, some you know, more activity in the chart world but uh i i don't know some some uh, flowers weren't weren't designed to bloom in the sun yeah so i'm i'm happy to have been in the shadows well at some point you guys transitioned i mean i know you still do music and you still record music but you you transitioned to writing books was that a natural progression or how did that come about uh-huh. well that really came about uh, some of it, you know, because of focus on the family that um, we were asked to diff- do different articles and we were asked to do an article for uh, Decision Magazine. And so I think I was, I took it on, I, I was the writer at that point. I, I've been left in the dust by Steve <laughs> long ago, but at the time I was the writer. And um, an acquisitions editor from Bethany House read that article and contacted us and said, uh, we want to do a book. There's a book in you. And I go, no, 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 no. You know, I have a hundred words and that's it. And uh, he came back uh, for about three or four years. He would come every year and he would say, there's a book in there. I, I think you should do a book. And, and finally we go, really? You think? And so it was the uh, Bethany house publishers, but we did a couple of three books with them. And then Steve wrote uh, a look at life from a deer stand um, mm-hmm. about hunting. You know, I, that hunter that I met in junior yep. high school. Well, that I'm glad he hunts now because <laughs> Steve is a, he will never tell you, but he is a best-selling author. He has uh, sold gazillions of books. And at one point, uh, uh, he was the highest selling author in that genre of anyone. So he, he's done, he's done himself. You've done at least 30 books yourself. I've done maybe 12 or something, but Steve left me long ago with the uh, writing. <laughs> well, the last thing that I found published was that Steve, you've sold over a million books. 
Right. Has that opened up different different avenues of ministry, or has it just expanded upon the existing ministry that you had? No. Uh, one of the unique things that have, has come out of the uh, people who have a passion for the outdoors uh, in the church has been uh, a lot of people call them wild game dinners, wild game dinners, sportsmen, um, sportsmen's events, uh, outdoor themed kind of things. And I've ended up on uh, as keynote at many of these through the years as a result of the books. And but I don't abandon music to do it. I I use music in the in the presentation along with video clips because men are very visual. Most of the people that attend these things are men. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's opened up a, a another world uh, musically for me. Uh, but since March. Uh, you know, they haven't happened because of the shut sure. lockdown, but uh, uh, i got some things coming up in, in 21 that I hope will happen. But um, I always uh, tell the sponsor, I feel like a pig in mud at these things. You know, a pig is happiest in mud. And uh, uh, I just enjoy sharing my stories. And, and uh, 95 to 99 percent of the time, they want me to share the gospel. And uh, I use hunt speak uh, to uh, to present the gospel. And uh, men, uh, sportsmen are are very uh, emotional people, so they they appreciate the music, the emotion, and the music and the stories and everything. So uh, it's that's been a a very enjoyable uh, component of what we've done through the years. I'm always interested in, and I think our listeners are too in hearing the stories about how we came to know Christ as our personal Savior. Uh, a lot of people call it their testimony. And Steve, I know you grew up as a preacher's kid, but at some point that became your own testimony, and you had to come to that point of saying, Jesus is a relationship I want to be in. Would you guys mind telling your testimonies? Yeah, I, I did grow up as a preacher's kid, uh, Pentecostal. Uh, my mom and dad were saved, uh, met Christ when they were, um, right after they were married, actually. Um, mom was the first to come to Christ, and then dad immediately after, and by then they had my sister and me. And dad um, accepted the call to, to be a preacher. He was more of an evangelist than a pastor, but he pastored... Um, for over 40 years. But when growing up in their home, I, you know, I always heard about Christ uh, and they were very diligent and uh, they were devoted to uh, making sure my sister and me were knew the Lord. I knew about Christ, but I didn't know him. And, and I liken that to the, uh, the woman at the well, you know, when she uh, went to town after meeting Jesus and she said, he told me everything he did I, I told me everything I've done. And the Samaritans said, um, you know, we, we heard about him through you, but now we really know because we met him. Hmm. And, you know, he, he came and stayed a couple of days with them. And, and he said, they said, now we really know. We heard of him through you. Yeah. But we met him and now we know. And that in 1974, in, um, uh, January of 74, I, I made a conscious commitment to follow Christ. And by then I was, I was uh, in Nashville and 
floating around Koinonia and trying to find my way there. But, uh, and I got baptized I, uh, by the pastor at, uh, at the church we were going to. And I'd been baptized before, Dave, at, at uh, Pentecostal uh, youth camps. Mm-hmm. The only chance that any of us had to swim was when we got baptized. So every year I'd get baptized in the pond out, out behind the camp. <laughs> so I, I'd been baptized several times, but I didn't really understand what I was doing. Right. And until that, that uh, it's March 3rd, 1974. I call it my death anniversary. Mm. And uh, I'm, I made a statement of what had happened in my heart by being baptized. And uh, so I started, uh, following Christ and, and uh, I had not really understood the word of uh, the word of God and the church I was going to is a church of Christ and they are very word oriented people. The, uh, the study of the word was very important at Belmont church. And, but what happened was the Holy spirit lit a fire to that word in our hearts. And, uh, the, the the word and the study of it became very important to us. And that's, that's when I started to grow in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in 74 and I'm, I'm still walking with it. Very cool. Yeah. A- Annie, what about you? Well, I was, I was, I wouldn't say I, I wasn't raised in an overtly uh, Christian home, but I, we went to church and um, the church, the church I went to, basically taught that um, you had to, it, it was a works. If, you, if you're good, then you get to go to heaven. And if you're not, then you, uh, you don't. So there was no truth. I didn't hear the gospel. I didn't really know it. Well, I, I was going to, uh, I was in high school and I was in choir and the choir director wanted me to, I, I took no college prep courses. I, everything was general. I was going to stay on the farm and I was going to take the farm over from my dad and I was going to work the farm. I had no desire to go to college, no desire to even leave that little community. That, that was going to be my world was I was going to work on the farm. And, uh, but the choir director at the high school, he said, I think you should go to school and I think you should uh, study music. And so he said, my sister went to Moody Bible Institute and they have a really good music program. I think that's where you should go. So for some strange reason that I I just kind of did what he told me to do. And so I applied to Moody, didn't realize there was a two year waiting period to get into that school. I get the, the packet of what I have to have. And it says I needed a testimony of con- a conversion testimony. Well, my sister, she liked, you know, she she was a writer and she liked Edgar Allan Poe and she liked all this kind of stuff. And I said, uh, hey, I'm supposed to have a conversion story. Would you write me up something? <laughs> She did this complete, fabricated, fictitious uh, testimonial of salvation. And I don't even know if I read it or not. But she just, you know, waxed eloquently and I put it in the packet and sent it in. And none of this was in in my mind of of what was really going on. God wanted me to go to Moody. Uh, They accepted that. And then my sister said, I know a lady who 
uh, she likes to help people go to Christian colleges. Uh, I'm going to tell her about you. So it ended up, I was accepted to Moody two weeks before it started. A lady paid all of my expenses, bought my books and my airplane, everything. It was just like a, it was like put in my lap. I didn't even know really what was happening. Yeah. And so I went to Moody and the, like the first week I was there, I heard the gospel and all these kids that had been raised in all these Baptist churches and Bible churches and had heard the gospel a million times, you know, a dozen ways, which way I was sitting there. I was like someone from a, you know, from Africa going, you know, what? I've never heard this before. And I was absolutely, my mouth just gaping open. I'd never heard the good news and just was thrilled with it and got saved. <laughs> and just, God brought me to Moody Bible Institute so I could hear the gospel. And um, I gave my heart to Jesus and it was, uh, it was, it was daylight. It was going from darkness to light. Wow. So I, so grateful for my sister's uh, uh, ability to uh, spin a yarn, <laughs> and we lied through our teeth to get into that Bible school. <laughs> and yet again, it's it's the way that God uses situations and circumstances to put us exactly where He needs us to be. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. I couldn't understand why those kids at Moody—they seem bored in chapel service, mm -hmm. and. They, when they heard great is thy faithfulness and you hear that just ringing through that big auditorium, I'd never heard that in my life. Wow. I'd never heard any, I was raised Methodist. I didn't, I'd never heard any of those songs that, uh, you know, and can it be that I should gain an entrance to, you know, I, I could not get over what I was hearing. It was like I had died and gone to heaven. Yeah. And those two, commitments that you guys made at that point have now uh, paved the way for this ministry that you guys have to families and to uh, spread the gospel and help people understand the, the importance of having a godly family as the root of life. Right. Yeah. And now we have six grandchildren that are just, I mean, they're our little missionary. They're our little mission field, and and they all love the Lord, and they've given their heart to Jesus. In fact, Natalie, when she was about three, she, uh, no, she was four, and uh, she asked her mom, and her mom talked to her. You know, she'd been raised knowing Jesus, and so she wanted to give her heart to Jesus. And the first thing she did when she uh, prayed uh, the prayer to uh, receive. Jesus, she said, now we need to go get George saved. And he was two years old. So we said, well, let's give George a little time. <laughs> Well, one of the things that we always do with our podcast is uh, we also send out a newsletter every Saturday asking folks to pray for artists. Uh, how can we be praying for you in these weeks and months ahead? Well, one, first of all, thank you for that yeah. uh, offer. We're, uh, I think your mom, I think, yeah. is our greatest uh, burden. You know, Dave, we, uh, when the lockdown happened, we go, uh, well, you know, what are we going to do? Again, God 
he, he arranges things. Uh, my mom is 90, will be 93 in February. And uh, 24-7 care, my, she lives with my sister. My sister is, uh, it's, uh, it's very taxing on her. Uh, so Annie and I go help. And they're 90 miles away. If we were traveling, like we would have been this time last year, it'd been very difficult to be uh, at, to lend assistance to my sister, who again needs that help. Uh, so you know, we see that that is a, a valuable uh, outcome of uh, the lockdown for us. You can pray for my mom, Lillian, um, and you can pray for my sister. You can pray for our kids and we, we're praying a lot right now for our nation. Yeah. And uh, our kid, our grandkids are inheriting a nation that doesn't look a whole lot like the one uh, Annie and I grew up in. And that, that deeply concerns us. Uh, we pray for the church. I uh, heard a statistic the other day that 45% of churchgoers probably will not go back. Uh, that's scary. things really stand out from our conversation with Steve and Annie today. First is the fact that when we follow God's leading, he's going to take us on a ride that we could never have imagined on our own. He's going to make connections with people and open doors. He'll take care of us. We just need to be faithful and obedient to his leading. And I also appreciate the Chapman's commitment to family. The investment in our kids, both in priority and in spiritual teaching, is probably the most important thing we can do with our time. Now, for me, it's easy to focus on all the things I have to do, work projects, things at church, even making this podcast. But where does all of that stack up in light of eternity? Am I more interested in putting effort into my routines than into my kids, my wife, or my family? What a great reminder to make sure that my priorities are in order. Again, thanks to Steve and Annie Chapman for this fun conversation. And thanks to you, too. I'm grateful that we get to spend time together each week. Since you are a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these conversations. Thanks so much. Well, if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a direct message on any of the social media platforms. Just look for at CCM Exchange on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Or you can also drop me a note at the website christianmusicarchive.com. Well, I'm really looking forward to our time together next week. I've got another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So, until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>